0: Ian Wright, would you uh, win the league or keep Bukayo Saka?
1: There's nothing that's going to make me give up Bukayo Saka. Hi everyone, how you doing? I'm Ian Wright and I want to tell you about Wrighty's House, my podcast on the ring. Twice a week I'm joined by a rotating panel of guests to talk about football, films, life and even cars. The film. (laughs) We give out flowers, we break down goals and sometimes we talk about some serious topics around
0: football and other sports. Come join us twice a week. Set your writers out on Spotify or
1: wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Take it easy. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast.
0: I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm alright, thanks man. Although there is a dog going absolutely wild in my building, it has not stopped barking for ages, so if you hear a load of barking in the background, it's not me. Man, so we're just going to hear
2: periodic barking as the podcast proceeds. The dog might be a Dortmund fan. Well, I can't blame it, to be honest. You've got a dog on backing vocals. It's not barking, it's varking.
0: (laughs) Oh, <laughs> there you go, everyone. You can oh have that one. Goodness. There you go, straight out, straight out the gate. Oh
2: my goodness! Wow, wow. Uh, how are you, Musa Gongwe? I'm very happy. I the other, the other night I was in Hamburg to interview the great Angelique Kidjo, five-time Grammy winner. It looked amazing. It was incredible. Um, interviewed her and cooked, <laughs> cooked a main dish for 35 guests with her, which was nerve-wracking. That's wild. It is wild. It is wild. Um, it was an incredible experience and people like the food. People like the food. So yeah, very hot food, excited. Hot takes. Exactly. Listen.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Literally, she was like, oh, you're, you're going to overheat
0: those beans if you-. And I was just thinking, you don't know how it takes. <laughs> First thing she said, five-time Grammy winner. Uh, what's this Latin take?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, she's someone I'd have to tell the take if she does. asked Oh yeah, her, yeah. She, yeah. She doesn't listen to Stadio. Anyway. I, I don't blame her. You <laughs> he looked amazing, man. Congrats. You looked Thanks really him. great. How are you keeping? What's going on? Yeah, I'm right, man. It's you know, it's a bit chilly. It is, isn't it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Minus one, oh, minus two. I think, I think Berlin might be the coldest place on earth right now. Tell you what. I ah, you didn't expect that, did you, <laughs> Canadians? Came from me this time. <laughs> He's the sensible one. <laughs> Come from my boy. I'm going to come for you. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Well, good. We've got a lot to get through today. Well, I say we have got a lot to get through. We've got the Champions League, a couple of other games we'll shout out. Mm. But we've got a few questions as well. So we're trying to lace those into the Champions League discussion. But mm. some admin, Mioa and Flo are going to be on Righteous House on Friday. Mm. Make sure you check that. You and I were on Righteous House on Tuesday. We were. just was fun. Yeah, great fun. Yeah, today we're just going to do some Champions League and keep it pretty. Pretty light and breezy. Let's do Yeah. Um, other admin. I think that's everything. Yeah. Just, just You know the admin by now. You know the drill. Yeah. I've done so many shows. You don't need to hear the admin every... Maybe I'll just... Maybe I'll stop doing the admin. No, no, no. Don't do... Don't, people like the admin. Death taxes. Death taxes
2: and stadio admin.
0: Let's go on to the show Let's after this. Shall we begin... <laughs> we begin in Munich? Yes, we have to. it was probably the power tie, right, of, of this week. Yeah, and Bayern, they showed us something. They yeah, showed they us did. something. Uh, Bayern 2, PSG nil, 3 nil on aggregate. Ashraf Hakimi started the game for PSG despite the preliminary charge of rape in Paris last week. I'm unfamiliar with the workings of the like, French legal system, so I'm not sure what the, how it all plays out. Also, just the way that people like, kind of tiptoed around it on commentary, I feel like just present the facts. Yeah, when the individual's been named, there've been challenges before where
2: individuals haven't been named.
0: Which we've gone into on this podcast.
2: Before. Right, when they, when they have been named, then you've got that context, you've got the factual context, then, then put it out there. And it is an editorial choice not to mention it. So that, the game began in strange circumstances from that perspective. And in terms of the game itself, PSG just curiously muted throughout. So Bayern prevailed uh, by two goals to nil. Could have been more. And PSG, it's a mix of things, isn't it? PSG were very poor.
0: And I also thought Bayern were very good. Mm. And I think there were two key moments in this game and they came like a couple of minutes apart. Okay, yeah. The first one was Marquinhos going off after 35 minutes. Mm. And then two minutes later, PSG have that chance at the other end where Sommer goes walking and yep clocks it straight away yes. goes to the line and clears it and celebrates it like a goal I think that's the pivotal two minutes in the whole game.
2: I think because, that's fair yes,
0: yes, yes. Because if Marquinhos doesn't go off for example and I mean I know that with the pattern of play PSG probably likely wouldn't have got into that position had he not but if PSG then go ahead it's a completely different game. Mm. And that was so crucial what ended up being fairly comfortable for Bayern.
2: Yes, that's fair. And I think the funny thing about Delecht, of course, well, from my perspective is, I think he's the most PSG defender not to have played for PSG, which is... run it, Yeah, yeah, I think so. Really? I think so. How yeah, come? Yeah. I'm interested I, just there. Think, I think there I is... I have my attention. <laughs> there's a type of personality that you need to play in that club, in that context. Um, you just need this. There's so much responsibility given when you're at a club like PSG, because it's very much like a kind of... Um, Real Madrid are where PSG want to be, which is like plug and play. You just put someone in, you haven't got to worry about them. And Delict in his Bayern incarnation is returning to something like the Ajax, where, you know, it's not the consistency yet, but it's just command. Like you just put him there and you haven't got to worry about him and you can put players alongside him and he could be like a more of a senior defender now because he's getting a bit older and he's just the kind of, his incredible presence, like his incredible presence and personality. And I think he's doing what Ramos you know, Ramos obviously is in advanced years, but I think he's kind of what Ramos was meant to be, this sort of talismanic centre-back. And I, I was really happy with him with that clearance because I think he needs, he needs moments like that. You know, he needs moments to really kickstart him again to the level that you know, he's obviously an outstanding talent. But I think he just needs those moments to put him back on that trajectory of being not only the elite talent, but the elite footballer that we all know he is.
0: Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. There was a moment this season where he came back with short hair and I was just like, uh-oh. he's on he's on Yeah, because he he also looks fitter than I've seen him for a while Mm. he looks good doesn't he yeah yeah he's good shape yeah I'm really pleased for him that he's starting to push himself into the conversation to be the first choice blind defender
2: yes 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 yes
0: and yeah I think that that block was incredible really good because it's actually like he he clocks it before some before some even really got himself into trouble and it's, it's just really, really smart defending. Summer periodically uh, does that. I mean, it's just, look,
2: hes mm-hmm. a brilliant shot stopper and also, wonderful, wonderful goalkeeper. And every few months, lives wonder. Yeah, yeah. Every few months, he did one of those against Munich. Actually, back in the day, like every so often, he'll do that. But look, he pulled out an outstanding save later on, mm. so he he redeemed himself. But also, if we're talking about redemption. Triple moting. Um, so Chip is moting, there
0: redemption, though?
2: I disagree. Go on. Well, no, because it was incredible. Ten minute, like
1: oh, it was this incredible yeah, tweet about this was so he just, good, basically,
2: was a- basically like, within ten minutes, super moting. He had a miss where he got the ball slightly caught behind him. Did you, the commentary? she's dead <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> then just like, why is not he shooting? And then he seemed so bereft. He took a while to get to his feet, and then he got hit by a shot. <laughs> Wait, he should have run straight off the pitch, so he'd be, um, so he would have been, he wouldn't have been offside. But yeah. He stays on the pitch. So yeah. one of his own teammates clatters the ball against him and should have gone in. A few minutes later, he has a header in that, but it's, it's a great header, but he's marginally offside and he should have timed his run slightly better. And then a couple minutes after that, he scores. Then he gets subbed off.
0: It was Muller who was offside. That was the
2: reason. It's a great header. But also Muller does draw two defenders. Um, he draws defenders. Attention, He interferes. does draw defenders. But then yeah. again, the header goes in anyway. Yeah. That was minimum. Yeah. But, but, you know, he did, he did well. Good movement for the, um, for the tap-in. And actually, it, his goal came at the end of um, a move that really summed up just how, how the difference between Bayern and PSG in this game was basically Verratti, who had a poor game, gets pressed in the edge of his own box by two players, gets swarmed by Bayern. I thought that press. Yeah, it's clever. That, that whole movement just summed up the difference. Bayern's intensity, pressing in packs, PSG not providing passing lanes or options, Verratti. Um, playing with the ball in a dangerous area, taking one too many risks, unnecessary risks. He took risks kind of all over the field really, but you know, mm. and he's done that his whole career, but in a situation like that, when you're up against it, was not the place to do it. And it was good night. And it was funny because I was talking to a friend, we were watching out in town together and he said, oh, like, you know, the thing about PSG having Messi and Mbappé on the pitch, you just feel like there's that moment of magic. I said, no, not tonight actually. I don't see any indication that they're going to string together anything like that. Bayern just had this well under control.
0: Mm. Could have been... Had that air about it, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it did. They just knew, they took the heat out of it. No intensity. Um, Messi uh, wandered here and there. Ineffectual. Didn't combine well than Mbappe. And Bayern just knew exactly what they were doing. And actually, here's the thing for Nagelsmann. What a power move. If you look at the bench that he had Mm. and the players he might have been expected to bring to the action... I uh, got a message from Kalimachi before the game and he was like, uh, from Caracón, uh, and he was like, oh, like, Ganabri, Mane, like, all this lot on the bench. Jao Cancelo on the bench. but he's not starting games. He's not started since the first leg. Yeah, and he, listen, he got a, good, um, got a good shift out of Pamukano as well, who's a player he's always had faith in. So, real vindication for Nagelsmann. Bayern just out-coaching, out-thinking, out-running uh, PSG. And you look at this Champions League unfolding now and you think, mm, yeah, that's what a contender looks like. And yeah, really impressive, I've got to say. Really impressive.
0: I just really thought, I thought this, the switch to a four from a, a back four from a back three from the first leg just really worked. Mm. And I think I think Nagelsmann just outcoached Christophe yeah, Gartier in this game. You could see it. And I've, but, I, but I also have a lot of sympathy for people being outcoached as a PSG manager because... I feel like it's a very, very hard team to actually coach. Do you know what I mean? You're essentially, you're essentially just a kind of a vibesman in a way sometimes at PSG where you just got to keep everyone happy. You're more of a man manager. I, feel like, I know that sounds like I'm being a bit disrespectful to people who have managed PSG and you saw that Tuchel, out of anyone in, re- the, in recent years, did the best job there. Yeah. You know, they could have won the Champions League that like, year against Bayern. But I feel that there's been a lot of talk about Galtier's job for a while and and I feel like it's just another example of actually like how easy it can be to be swallowed up there. Mm. Like you don't really have a huge amount of authority. Let's talk about PSG a little bit because we had so many questions essentially saying like, what next? Mm. Ben Frigieri said, what's next for PSG and do they need to change? This current model has, at least to me, proven to be categorically unsuccessful year over year. We had so many questions like that, basically mm. being like, PSG, do they kind of like blow it up and rebuild? I feel there's a big conversation to be had there. And well, actually, to be honest, I think it's a conversation that's been going on and off for years. I think we've had it. Mm. But just how they have semi-ignored this gigantic pool of talent that has come through the, their academy and just within in the region mm. for going a bit Galactico and the chemistry just not working this might massively play into whether Messi stays or not. Uh, if he leaves, then Mbappe's kind of looking around because Neymar's going to go. Mbappe's looking around. I think Mbappe and Messi as a two actually work really well. There have been glimpses where Neymar's been out where they've looked really, really good together. I actually prefer them when Neymar doesn't play. Yeah, same. I think I think we said this earlier on in the season yeah, that yeah. two any two of that combination tends to flow a lot better. Yeah. Especially if Mbappe's there. Mm. Um. But they're just so unbalanced. And if you look at the depth that Bayern had compared to the depth that PSG have, mm. that is very, very poor recruitment over the last few years. Yeah. They have changed slightly. We talked about this with like, with, uh, with Lewis Campos mm. as the sporting director. Do you think that PSG need to essentially commit to going a little bit more homegrown and organic for the next however long because I think I feel like well, yeah, they're they've are had, that. What, they're they've just, had yeah. like a
2: good decade at this right? The cycle what Luis Campos is trying to do he just hasn't had enough time to put his ideas in place you already see some signs of the shift you see positive signs the victory over Marseille for example where it comes together but this is a team that's still under construction and I think the departure of Messi um, will be good for the squad as a whole not because Messi is inherently a problem in terms of player but he casts such a large shadow, I think he's extremely intimidating to play with him. we said this before, Like, mm. and it's not because of him specifically, it's because when Messi's on the pitch, you feel like you have to look for Messi. And you saw it with the, the Argentina World Cup squad, the players that played so well with him, the ones like Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez, they've grown up idolizing Messi, but they haven't grown up in his on-field shadow. They've just come into the squad. They're like, oh, wow, Messi, my hero. And they kind of just get on with it. Whereas the ones that have been more seasoned alongside Messi who have been on the pitch alongside him for 10 years. They, they, Well, apart from Di Maria, who just is scared of... That man's not scared of an alien invasion at this point. That man's afraid of nothing. Um, it's a problem. So I think the rebuild, just having Mbappe there and building around him is key. The question is how long they hang on to Mbappe because he's not winning the Champions League oh. at PSG. He's just not. Like Not solo. No, 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 no. To build, to build PSG to a Champions League winning team with the kind of contenders you have against them, it's a five-year job. And he's not now going to be it around. Is. They're further yeah, away yeah, than I think. Yeah. they've oh, been. Oh yeah. I mean, oh my god. it?
0: Five five round of sixteen exits in the last seven years, dude. Yeah. To build this team, to a Champions League winning team, I feel like this is probably one of the most alarming exits over the last however long for PSG. Without question, without question. And they need a massive rethink. And I don't know what that looks like, but I feel like there seems to be something on the horizon that just there's going to be a lot of turnover this summer. Uh, I feel like it's going to be quite a because there's no there's no men's international tournament. Mm. And I feel like there are a lot of teams around Europe that feel like they're coming to a natural end of a cycle. Mm. A lot of players that feel like they need to need a switch, maybe a move. I think it's going to be really. I think what we, uh, what we maybe would have picked as the the five six favourites for the Champions League at the beginning of the season. I I don't think they're going to be the same ones next season at all. Actually, apart from
2: Benfica.
0: <laughs> well, we'll talk about Benfica yeah, in a little bit yeah, because, they're, they're coming. Yeah. 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 Um, Anything else
2: on this game? No, no further notes. No further notes.
0: Uh, Shall we do the other Wednesday game while we're here? And that was uh, Spurs' exit to Milan. Mm. Um, Where to start? So first of all,
2: headline, uh, it's 0-0. So Mm. Milan go through 1-0 in aggregate. That's a huge result for them because they've had a very difficult couple of months. Pioli has really struggled there. Um, Standout points here. Money Mike Manion is back in goal. He's back from injury, back in goal for Milan and pulled off an outstanding save late from Kane. Brilliant, brilliant, you know, superb downward header and he palmed it away. It's great um, to see Money Mike back. What was your yeah,
0: say? Was there the funkiest keeper in the world? Yeah, he's so. Look, I, I'm just. <laughs> you got to get down.
2: Because you know, Tatar, Tatarasano was there um, for a couple of months and. Did it okay, know, okay, to be fair. Did, did it, do you know what it is? It's the command of the back line. I think that Tatarasano made some errors. He made errors that were consistent with his level of of ability. And I'm not trying to sound too harsh. It's more like Mignon just brings up your level so much more, not only in terms of his own play, but the command of the back line. And with him there, automatically everything, because there's some, you know, there's some young players in that back line and he just brings it together. Um, he was brilliant. The thing about Milan, I would say, is there is a huge, huge... um divergence of talent in that 11. It's a really strange 11. It's really unbalanced. Some positions you're like, oh, that person's elite. That person's really finding themselves. And it's a real, it's a mismatch. And you you see some of the decision-making, like Junior Macias burst into, um, really emerged with with a flourish. And I think has kind of gone sideways a little bit. Some of the decision-making isn't the best, um, Raphael Leao, I think there's a bit of a burden of being the go-to player and there's that need to deliver big moments. And I'm not, mm. he, sometimes when I've watched him this year, he hasn't played in the flow of the game. Um, he hasn't let the game come to him and maybe he feels he doesn't have the luxury of that because he knows that he is, you know, the primary dribbler, the creator. So there's almost, there's a burden on him there from Milan's point of view and they made hard work of this.
0: The most disappointing thing for Spurs will be that Milan were not very good in the second leg.
2: Yeah, well, I didn't want to. Yeah, maybe I was being too gentle here, but yes. No, no, they just were. I
0: think, no, no, just, I think they, they really liked the fluidity. They seemed. They were great. I thought they were really good defensively, which would be a massive plus for them because Tamori has had a little bit of a wobble, let's mm. say.
2: But I really like those defenders. I like Tomori, I like Kalulu. Yeah. I like Kalulu. Yeah, I mean, nuts. we love them,
0: but uh, yeah. they haven't been in the best form. They, no, uh, no, Tomori had a bit of a wobble on the weekend, but I feel like you wouldn't have known that. No. No. I mean, they limited Spurs to barely anything in the first half. In the second half, Hoybier had that one chance that went over, where he started hyping the crowd and then uh, injected a bit of atmosphere because I thought the place was very. It just felt. I do, I, I've, and this isn't a dig at all. It's it's sympathy. I think because I feel like most most football fans have been in that position where this is something that you should be really excited about. You're in. You've got potential to go through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and yet. You're, what you're watching and what you're feeling is just so uninspiring. You talk about a team, you talk about PSG being further away
2: than ever before and you look at Spurs now and it's so strange they look further away
0: than ever before. I mean, we're talking about the end of a cycle. I think this is just the natural end of a cycle for this, this pairing between Conte and Spurs. Yeah. And also, and, and Son and Spurs the beginning of the end
2: maybe as well. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying Son like the next couple of years but like in terms of a the beginning of the end and starting to think in the long term about okay over the next couple of years who is our who are we bringing in
0: um, I mean that's this an too. interesting one because he's only 30 still and I feel like maybe a managerial change might kickstart mm. his form again yeah. Um I feel like there are just a lot of players in I don't know Conte James Horncastle wrote a, a tweet about how um this is probably, I can't, I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically like, not the worst, but I think like the least inspiring Sp- uh, Conte team since that Atalanta side, which was his first, wow. was his first top five gig, I think, right? Um, and how he hasn't had a chance to bend them to his will. And I just feel that there's been, I don't think there's any one reason for that. Um, we had a question from Jesse Losh actually, who's, who is a Spurs fan. And she just yeah. said, uh, Tottenham,
1: why? Um, and I feel the why is a very long, there's a
0: long answer to that question, to that very short question. And I feel that Antonio Conte, I, th- I feel like so much, of, so much of his success is dependent on the chemistry from the jump, right? right. If, he get, if he arrives somewhere and he feels like, okay, we have, a, we have a chance or like I can do this, it seems to work pretty well. Um, I feel like it spurs the fact that he didn't come in the summer and then it came, he came in after Nuno it, al- it already felt like a little bit of a yeah go on then and I, f- and I feel like it's a really dangerous starting point for that kind of relationship I think he's probably been a little bit frustrated with um, players maybe not being able to do what he wants out of them but also he is a coach it is his job to then coach those players and I feel that there's been a, I feel there's been almost like a, a really loads of to use of not loads of potentially really great ingredients just cooked in the completely wrong way. And also, unfortunately, you're going to use that analogy, the chef having to step out of the kitchen numerous times for mm. stuff that it, on a human level is completely understandable. like, Conte has had I don't think there is uh, what I'm saying is I don't think that there's any one party that is the sole blame here the only person that you maybe would point the blame at is probably at executive level because they're the people involved uh, I in was going to say it I was going to say but it in terms yeah. of, the, yeah. of, the, of, the, of the the people who are front and centre I think some of the players have probably underperformed and, and not put into place some of the stuff that Conte wants them to do I think Conte probably could have coached this side a little bit better and un- unlocked them a little bit and I think the best coaches sometimes look at... Well, the best coaches look at who they have and adapt to the way of playing to maximise that. But I also think that Conte has just had a fucking horrible, horrible year. And yeah. also, like Spurs have, if you think about it as well, like, you know, losing Giampiero Ventroni, obviously someone very, very close to Conte. Um, he then lost two close friends in Mihailovic and Biali, um, And also he had that surgery, which... He awful. came back way too soon from, we all knew that he he came back way too soon from that and then had to step out again. And it just feels like a lot of that on a personal level, you know, his family is still in Italy. I think you can just tell that this is a guy who needs a break and no one would begrudge him going home. However, if I'm a Spurs fan, I would be looking at him being like, can you give us a little bit more something? Hmm. Can you at least sound like you want to be there for a bit or... You know, some of the stuff afterwards being like, I'm here to the end of the season, but if they fire me, they fire me. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It just feels like this isn't a, this isn't a massively healthy relationship. And I don't think it will be one that extends past the summer.
2: How soon does Daniel Levy wait to offer Thomas Tuchel the job? He's right there. And he actually is someone who has the ability to bring so much out of this squad because it's a good squad. Actually, there's, there there are new players they bring in. You have players substantially underperforming like Richarlison, who, Goodness! Like when a player like Richarlison is struggling you see his to that quote level after the game. Yeah, I mean, when when you see when a player like Richarlison is struggling to that extent, then it's a structural problem. This is a very very good footballer in a system that is extremely ill fitting, and um, a situation that's ill fitting. And I, I do think Tuchel is a, a manager who is a right there and B we su- supremely suited to extracting much
0: more from this squad very quickly. The only thing I would say is that I feel like it's going to take more than a manager.
2: Yeah, to really, it is. Really, fix. It's, it's going stuff to take Spurs. It's going to take Daniel Levy stopping and looking back and thinking, "Hang on a minute, look at these managerial hires. Look at all the different input I put into this. Look at me not backing because there's a lot of talk about you know the Pochettino situation and oh he achieved, he overachieved, he was ahead of his curve. Look, there's money at Spurs." Spurs owner has money. If they'd wanted to back Pochettino to that degree, they could have. They chose not to. And they need to reckon with that. And I don't think they've ever fully reckoned with that because these, these, um, the hires post Pochettino, none of them have been strategic long term hires. None of them. None of those managers are people who you look at and go, oh, yeah, you know, we could build a project around. N- they're not. And there needs to be some honesty at executive level about the expediency with which they've behaved since sacking Poch, mm. Complete expediency. That frankly, if they were running different kinds of businesses, people would like cock their head sideways at them. So you're right, there's an executive responsibility to carry out there. It's not about passion for the club, no one doubts that. It's about actual strategy. And whoever they appoint next needs to have that comfort of, of the strategy. I've seen a few whispers that
0: Paratichi loves Luis Enrique.
2: Well, he can, he, can, he can love him all he likes, but Give him the tools. <laughs> Give him the tools because Luis Enrique has been in chaos before at club level. Yeah, He's been in chaos before and he's been underappreciated and actually at this stage of his career he doesn't have to bother with it actually. No, a, yeah,
0: I agree. So
2: here's the thing if, you're, if he's interested sorry to be a bit harsh and Labour at this point but if you're interested make him a compelling offer. Don't
1: be do serious? the clown
2: show. Don't do the clown show of what happened to the Barcelona where everyone was getting sacked around him. Those who brought him are getting sacked around him he wins loads gets underappreciated and bounces and he was so underappreciated it was only two or three years later after he'd left people were like oh that guy was actually good oh the guy that got the treble in the double in consecutive seasons sorry it was a clown show so don't, don't offer him a clown show basically
0: let's talk about Milan before we wrap up in this Step. Juan said Milan solid at the back and lethal on the counter how far can you see them going I mean to be honest I re- it's so, such a boring answer but it just completely depends on the draw because I don't think this is a I mean we've talked about Milan's struggles on the podcast recently I feel like a good side would have knocked them out last night. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, to be honest, I think Spurs had the Spurs had the, all the tools to knock them out. And yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about Romero's red, because I feel like mm. it was so... So clearly a red. It was, it was so te- telegraphed from the first booking anyway. The ref just like,
2: standing there waiting for like three minutes to send him off with the red just ready.
0: Yeah. Just yep. not a smart challenge. Not at all. I mean, the, the sound was horrible. Like. Oh, because it was right in front of one of the mics, and um, yeah, dangerous challenge, dangerous challenge. It was really dangerous, actually. I mean, it was. It didn't end up being too bad, I don't think, but it could have been horrible. Yeah, Uh, Milan. I'm. hmm, I think they will frustrate teams if they keep the first legs tight. They have more of a chance. I think so much of it depends on their first leg. I'm going to sound a bit mean here,
2: but uh, of all the teams that are through so far, they're the one team I can't imagine lifting the trophy. That's all I'll say. They're the one team I can't imagine lifting. I can see them to certain, but not further. I think there's, mm-hmm. there's the, the limits, the upper limits to what they can achieve feel too visible. At, at this, at this specific, I, I, I just can't see it at this stage. And, you know, I, I do see as potential winners, actually. Um, I think wow. that yeah. Yeah. I just think that they've been a little bit, put it this way, if, if PSG, if you look at the PSG project, and the Benfica project, Benfica just have it way more locked down <clears throat> and they're extremely dangerous, I think. And they're, they're kind of fearless at this point. Um, they, ma- they match up very, very well. That's why, the series. I say they're potential winners is because they're, they're fearless actually. We saw mm. them in the group stages when PSG actually were really firing. And they threw everything at Benfica and Benfica got two draws off them. And I was like, hey, they're moving.
0: So yeah. Let's take a break and then we'll yep. come back with the other two games. All right, we we go to Stanford Bridge? Because yes. there was a key moment in this game, it happened very early on and it was when Julian Brandt pulled up with what looked like a really bad hamstring injury mm-hmm. and uh, left the field to be replaced by Gio Reyna, the reason I mentioned that as the key moment of the game was because I was talking to Jonathan Harding yesterday and he made a really good point in the fact that like, because Chelsea needed to score, mm. Dortmund had those few chances on the break in the first half and it just felt like they had a real lack of pace. Marco Royce isn't as nippy as he used to be. No. Sebastian Haller is not known for his pace. Not a speedster. It's not his game at no. all. No. And actually Jonathan said, uh, instead of bringing on Gio Reyna, who I thought will actually played quite well, he would have brought on Jamie Vardy no Gittens because mm. of his speed in the final third. Is obviously and Dortmund his, without, and his form, his performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dortmund obviously without Makoku, without Amy going into the game, uh, without Gregor Kobel in goal. Who I I don't to be honest. Like, so I think I think Maya was fine. I don't think, he, uh, I, think so. I I don't think he uh, was the difference by any means. But both
2: Makoku and Amy are big losses. They're big absences. Yeah, yeah, and just
0: I think the way, and the game state and the way that Chelsea needed to push. I thought I feel like they would have been so key. Mm-hmm. to helping Dortmund through. But I mean, Chelsea in that first half just kept great chances. They did. Kai
2: Havertz was in the mix as, as impressive as he's been for a while. That is one of the best Kai Havertz performances I've seen in, in, in a, yeah, long, for a long, long time.
0: time. I think to be honest though, I think it was one of Chelsea's best performances for a while overall. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair too. You could also see why they haven't been scoring a huge amount of goals. That was That Sterling one right in the first minute, even though he ended up being offside or second minute, I think it was. Mm. Where he just like, he could have got a shot away and just yeah. overthought it so much. The Harvard's one off the post, which rolled <laughs> spun across goal.
2: Not the best contact. Then he scored the absolute banger and Sterling was offside. Yeah, Sterling, had was a really cool. of like, Sterling had a yeah. couple of offsides where he shouldn't really have been offside. They were marginal calls, but then it's one of those ones where a player of his quality and experience should have waited like a couple of feet. Um, yeah. I, we know he was playing on the high line, but still. But then so he made up for it. He did. He did. A, that, Talk about a triumph of persistence. Um, can I say this as well, actually? Raheem sterlings he's still only 28, Brian. He's 28. Like he's been around forever. It feels like he's had, like, I mean, it's the opposite of Walcott's law. Like, he's, <laughs> It's absolutely wild. Like... It was like Fred Savage, Fred Savage in the Wonder Years, just permanently.
0: <laughs> dude, made his debut in 1999. <laughs> yeah, so do Sterling... I think that's the... Do you know what, though? I yeah. think that's the, that, that is an... That goes to show, Mm. I think how underappreciated Raheem Sterling has continually been throughout his career.
2: Yeah. So Raheem Sterling scoring this goal, it reminded me a bit of, you know, like those Nintendo, the old Nintendos where you had to like keep blowing on the cartridge to get the dust off to get it working. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like he's trying to activate his finishing. The first time the ball comes in, he says, slices at it, doesn't get a good contact. Slices it again. Yeah. And then he's like, do you know what? To hell with this and just smacks it. <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of summed up Chelsea's performance in a certain way in that like it was the persistence in the end. There was some there was some really good football, but I think the primary yeah, the thing I take from this was they really just kept pushing. You know, even when Drow Felix is not fully finishing with the assurance you expect he's still driving into space still making room you know Sterling Havertz and Felix is not the worst front three because
0: it's it's amazing everyone gets out of everyone's way
2: actually everyone (laughs) everyone has just stopped just
0: stop no 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 stop (laughs) for a second (laughs) Kai Havertz Raheem Sterling and Xiao Felix as a front three right it's got that fluidity and the runners incredible you add a couple of in the Premier League yeah,
2: you add some, I know, you add some, I know it's wild. You add some runners to that, you then get like Chilwell coming in. Chilwell with a, his, his um, delivery improved throughout the game. Um, and look, I, I love Chilwell. Chilwell and James are just unbelievable wingbacks in this system. And you bring in subs to that mix. You know, this is a, this is a very decent Chelsea proposition at this point.
0: The thing from a Dortmund point of view that was really that was just a shame about this game was just that that penalty just killed it for them. It did. I feel like if that penalty hadn't been retaken, Dortmund might have seen this out and and nicked something. Bellingham had that one chance as well, but I think that was a little bit. Uh, but I thought people were being overly harsh on that because it just kind of came to him super quick.
2: I'm going to be overly harsh here, but encroaching in the box for a
0: penalty is you just don't need to.
2: It's 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 like come Not on, now.
0: It is a basic error. I read the Dale Johnson thread about it from ESPN and there's um, and he basically said the same thing I'll, I'll quote his tweet there is absolutely no point in a defender encroaching on a penalty with VAR I 100% agree yeah it's just not worth it it's just bad game management yeah yeah he also wrote a, another thing saying when the ball is cleared by the Dortmund player there doesn't seem to be a Chelsea player who is realistically going to play the ball therefore there is an argument that this VAR intervention was overly fussy or over fussy and could have been left on field So this is the thing where I feel like it's just a, it's fine in a sense, but just like the law states, encroachment from both sides we take, but a lot of that is down to the pathway to who plays the ball. I feel the first penalty was, the actual awarding of the penalty was fine. I don't think Chelsea made it through purely because of that. No, no. The penalty wasn't the thing that cost it for Dortmund, but I think it killed their momentum. Uh, or any chance at Real momentum, you could see them afterwards when they because they weren't in agreement with the awarding of the penalty anyway. And then when they had the retake, it's just like oh what the fuck, yeah. man. Yeah. So I know both players were encroaching, but there was no there was no real advantage from anyone in that thing. Just fucking let it go. To be fair, like I feel, I feel Chelsea had a massive shout for a penalty after like eight minutes when Havertz has that shot and Emre Chan basically nudges him just before the moment of impact. Right, like, that's a foul. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a foul, and it was. I thought that. It would have been a very, very rare awarding of it, but it is technically a foul. It's completely like, uh, Harvitz is clear of Emery Chan. He's got a chance to get a shot away and Emery Chan basically stops him from doing that from behind without getting the ball. So it evens out. It evens out. Yeah. Fair enough. Look at that. Look at that. They all even out.
2: (laughs) And in this tournament, here's the thing. Chelsea are not going to be a volume team in terms of volume goal scoring, but Mm. they'll be extremely difficult to knock out. And that, yeah, they've got a chance again. They're dangerous again. And Havertz is, he's decisive. I I still think they lack um, someone to punch through like a kind of, you see what Timo Werner did. Mm. I still think Chelsea lack that type of player who disorientates opposing defenders. They've got sufficient, they've got enough attacking talent to find that player, but I don't think they still have the, um, yeah, they, they they they're going to need a level more in attack, I think, mm.
0: to go further in this tournament. Let's go to the other game on Tuesday. We covered yeah. everything for that game. Yeah, yeah, all done. I think so, right? Yeah, yeah, all done. Uh, Benfica five, Labrugger one, seven one on aggregate. Benfica's uh, highest Champions League home win. Um, and I thought it was going to get off to a flying start after uh, was it João uh, Mario had the ball in the. In the net after 90 seconds, that lovely little flick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, was Gonzalo Ramos offside of the build up? I think it was I Gonzalo think so. Ramos, I think right? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was outstanding. Um, and,
2: uh, and to be fair, I think Brugger did
0: okay.
2: This result's that. not going to get that much attention because it's Brugger. This <laughs> is the thing, actually, it's not going to get that much attention. But what, what interests me is they brought in Chiquinho to replace Enzo Fernandez, and it's just seamless. You know, this is a team that sold Darwin Nunez and they got Gonzalo Ramos. Like, this team, its ability to renew itself, incredible. and everyone just played, they played with such intensity and that they were constantly creating chances. They were constantly just at Briggers' necks. You know, actually, you look at, like, some, like, um, actually, similar pattern to the 7-0 that Liverpool got Manchester United, where the goals actually came relatively late, but the dominance was there from reasonably early, like, in terms of the constant, constant creation of chances. Rafa Silva's opener is spectacular outside of the right foot. And just the way that Benfica front line combines, it's dangerous, man. Like, it is it's, dangerous. It's, it's, it's very, dangerous. It's, it's matchups. It's all matchups. They remind me of like that Monaco team from like 04 with mm. Morientes and that lot where the wrong team get, like a big team gets them at the bad time and Benfica just run right. It all depends on matchups. This the thing about the Champions League. It really is like
0: who gets drawn against who, I think. Totally. Um, uh, the second Ramos goal was my favourite because the, there's this amazing touch that he does when he, when he cuts inside and normally you would be like that's the left foot to bring it inside and he kind of chops he chops with the outside of his right and I think that creates the space initially. Yes. I just don't think you're when you're when you're defending in that and you're kind of getting yourself set for, for the attacker to move somewhere I think it's such a minor thing, or like a minute thing, sorry, but it changes the whole pattern of that thing. I think it just opens up for him. I saw that. and I thought I've seen that somewhere before, and I was thinking it's Hernan Crespo when yeah. I
2: saw that style of movement and touch. That's and actually, quite like in a way as well. Oh, actually. the chop, yeah, yeah, the touch, the chop. yeah. This, the way that man dominates the front line. To me, is it's like a young Crespo, and I loved Crespo. He's, I think that he's, he's extraordinary, Ramos. He's for real. And I wonder why, why there's not slightly more talk around him at the moment. I know there's a I bit... I think it's probably because everyone knows that it's going to cost.
0: That, yeah. Like, you want to sell Enzo The brick has gone so <laughs> yeah, high. Substantially high. Yeah, My yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also just a shout for David Neres's goal because David Neres was just like... I that celebration's that. incredible. He's just so fucking chill. He's in his bag. Like, He's so in his so bag. so chill. just <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um... It was amazing and uh, but i th- I, th- I think goal of the night the old Meyer I think the goal for brugger was probably like it was such a it was such a beautiful like inside like cutting across inside of the foot it was, a, <laughs> it, was, a, it, was a, it was a an, an outswinging instep of a goal it was beautiful it's, like, so, it was it's so, so it's so weird it's so weird when the best goal of the game didn't that happen in
2: like a... Arnold Clark Cup, was it? We're like, uh, against, against England, and, like, actually, when England, England, England won by, like, 6-1, but the actual goal against them was, like, the best goal of the game. It's so weird hmm. when that happens. It's so often in thrashings where the only goal by the opposition is, like, is the banger. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> and then, how, how much can I actually pretend to enjoy this? <laughs> hey, listen, listen. We can all play well when the pressure's off. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't I know it oh god
0: oh yeah uh, let's uh, have a question from Jackson Wright who says mm. although Brugger is on a serious downswing I mean they fired Scott Parker afterwards he's no yeah. yeah. more although Club Brugger is on a, on a down, serious downswing dismantling a round of 16 opponent isn't an easy task who could Benfica draw in the quarterfinals and actually expect to, expect to be in serious trouble No one's looking forward to facing them. Put it that way. Nobody is looking forward to it. Their home legs are going to be
2: such a weapon for them moving forward. No one wants that. That's the thing. Especially a second leg. No one wants
0: that. It's horrible. We've seen what they can do to very good sides. I mean, I'd I'd like to revisit that question when the draw is made and when Mm. the rest of the ties are done. Because at the moment, I really don't know. Like, I think it really depends who gets through. Like, for example... I like, don't think
2: anyone's enjoying that draw, to be honest with you. I don't
0: you. think anyone will. I mean, even Bayern. We were talking about Bayern being streetwise. Like, I think Bayern would just... No, no one would fancy it in in Lisbon. Not being funny. Gasol Ramos running at Bayern's right flank. Oh,
2: no, thanks. They're not enjoying no, that. Cancelo's
0: they want, they want, like, all right, now you choose to bring me on? Yeah, they want this guy. no parts of that. Yeah, exactly. Danke, you, Ha, ha. Let's have a couple of quick questions before we go. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I mean, Benfica are looking... I know it's Brugger, and it's hard to, it can be hard to judge off that tie. because They're not they a have, dark horse, they they're a horse. They're a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. um, couple of quick questions. Uh, Virgilio says, there doesn't seem to be as much hype and excitement around the Champions League this season. Is that a fatigue due to the World Cup? I think there's always a little bit of a lull in the it's round. Of the 16s. way it's so
2: spaced out, though.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's always, but it just it's so. Um,
2: yeah, the post World Cup thing I think is maybe a factor. It's just so much football, um, a continuous football. But just the way it, yeah. I think this this particular stage, it's where it feels so laboured because the fixtures are just spread out like this.
0: When you spread a round out over a whole yeah. month, uh, it can feel a little bit laborious. laborious. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it always tends to ramp up in the quarterfinal. And I think because we also had the, quite a quite a blockbuster second round in the Europa League, I think that might have taken the... There's a contrast, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple of quick other ones. Um, here we go. One from Emily Orham, who just said, who's going to win it? Don't know, Emily. You know we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Moose is, oh, Moose has got a take. Hang on. No, no, mean, no, 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 no. I can mute it. I can mute it. I've always got a take. Who, who, do you think, who do you think is going to win it? Wow. You really think they're going to do it?
2: Do you know what? I'm only half... I just think it's... Do you know what it is? I don't think they'll win it, but I'm just saying that as a kind of... just embracing the possibility of it happening.
0: I think that might be the most on the fence thing that anyone has ever said on this podcast. No, with am on it, on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that they will win it, but I am coming round to the possibility of embracing that they might. <laughs> no, I don't know who's going to win it. The Champions League is just—it's just gloriously unpredictable. It really is. Put it this way, CJ says, do Napoli have a legitimate chance of winning? Yes. I know that the most entertaining teams don't normally win it, but Napoli's form this season gives me hope. Can
2: I say this one thing? Can I throw this actually as something? This is why I find sports washing so hilarious in the context of the Champions League. Of all the tournaments in the world that you could throw money at to guarantee a victory, the Champions League is the most capricious, right? It's the least likely to obey the whims of sports washing. We've seen seen repeatedly, it's extremely, extremely hard, Throw, you could throw billions at this thing yeah. and you get no closer to it because it just is. It's elite football where the margins are infinitesimal and it, it's, not, it's not the kind of thing that lends itself to guaranteed outcomes. It's really not. Money does not make us the vibe. It does not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that
0: should be, do you know what, if we ever do like Stadio Christmas crackers or something like that, I should put those... Money does not make make a vibe.
2: Exactly, (laughs) doesn't
0: it? All right. One final question from Debbie, who Mm. says, "What team in European football do you want? Do you most want to see win the Champions League in the next five years? By your own teams, of course. It doesn't have to be particularly realistic." So there you go. Well, well no because they, no
2: no because that, they, they come for us. They'll come for us. Because I'm be like look oh, Stadio play <laughs> favorites.
1: Right Union, Union, Union. Union, we Champions
0: League. <laughs> Dortmund. There you go. Anyone from Germany. Anyone from Germany, yeah. just to shut up everyone being like Farmers League. <laughs> oh, Farmers League. Oh, oh, oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Ajax as well. I'd love to see Ajax win the Champions League again just yeah, because yeah, yeah. it just feels right. Um but they gotta be in it first to do mm. that. Yeah. If if Napoli are going to win
2: it, it has to happen soon because they're going to dismantle that team very, very fast. Those players are going to get sold
0: off quick. Oh, do you know what would be amazing? Imanol wins it for Real Sociedad hook that to my veins. Oh my God. Can you imagine? If, and then just bouncing, being like, actually, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, done. I'm, not I'm just push. here for the like, press like, conference. It's only downhill for him from here. I'm out. <laughs> Let <laughs> Javi <Jabby> Alonso <laughs> take <laughs> over. I'm gone.
2: I'm gone. <laughs> I'm just here for the press conference when he just goes in wearing the shirt and starts singing club songs. Oh,
0: with, a, with a scarf around his head. Incredible. 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 Uh, a couple of quick shouts of uh, the games this week. There was a, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea who played some games in hand in the WSL. Mm. Both winning. Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0, Chelsea beat Brighton 3-1. So they have closed the gap on those at the top of the table. Chelsea are a point behind Manchester United with a game in hand. Mm. Uh, Manchester City are third on 32 points. And Arsenal are three points behind them with a game in hand and a superior goal difference. So if Chelsea and Arsenal win their games in hand, uh, that top four will change dramatically. Um, And just one final shout before we go. I want to big up. Angel City FC's number one draft pick, Alyssa Thompson, made her debut in a friendly against Club America and scored an unbelievable goal after five minutes. It was like someone put a little bit of Maradona's goal against England in 86 Mm. and a little bit of Thierry Henry against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu Mm. shook it up a little bit. And there's there's also like your favourite US player, Rose Lavelle,
2: there's an element of that attacking space like that. Just seeing and just sensing a mismatch and just absolutely flying into the gap and that's the classic example of that's the kind of player where post-match the seasoned vets on the opposition are like who the hell is that like we yeah. knew the hype but like really who the hell is that 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 is going to be a serious she's going to be a serious problem for a long time
0: 18 years old yeah wow <laughs> yeah just wanted to shout that out because an yeah. amazing guy I know it's only friendly but it was a debut it was, it was a state number one draft pick a lot of yeah. pressure yeah uh, should we leave it there for today let's do it alright everyone we hope everyone's staying safe staying well um, we've, got a l- we've got a lot of stuff that we need to catch up on soon we need to talk about this stuff in Barcelona which, yes uh, yeah that's hotting wild. up that's wild but uh, yeah for now don't forget to check the ringer.com check the Staddy Archers place on Spotify and speaking of which we're playing out on we've got it made by the James family anything you would like to add tell you what I haven't got it made anyway no no <laughs>
2: Nothing further.
0: Nothing further. All right. Much love, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday.